So, hey, Gabe, how's it going? Good, good. Glad to be on another phenomenal episode of Safeonomics. Yeah, really looking forward to this one uh, with Nick uh, Busetta from Liminal VR. Um, fa- fascinating, fascinating stuff they're working on. Yeah, it was. It, it's a really amazing uh, discussion. And again, to preface it, just like our other, uh, our other conversations with with folks that are in tech in safety. There's a lot of discussion on the the learning process and the people that are involved in it. So the technology itself is amazing. How it's being applied is, to me, that was really even the more fascinating part. Yeah, yeah, I think, and uh, um, it, you know, in the discussion, like you said, it's they've got uh, developers uh, working on the simulations, but they right. have more uh, brain scientists, you know, behind the scenes working on. Uh, the science of learning and and uh, how that experiential learning can really Im- impact the the learners and longevity of those those lessons so uh, that was that was fascinating yeah and what what nick talks about too and and i'm, I'm going to pull a i'm going to pull a jamie young here and do a little bit of a spoiler and uh it you know he talks about how there are these technologies that are being deployed and um and developed and it's this is not just a, a pie in the sky sort of technology. It's actually literally being used in real time right now. Right. There are actual organizations that are deploying it. Um, they are using it and seeing benefits from it. And I I know Nick talks about that a little bit. And if it's something that that you as a listener are interested in in learning more about, uh, it's not just a crazy sci-fi tech thing that's out there anymore this is really something that is real and it's getting better all the time yeah absolutely so buckle up and uh, get ready for a for a fun ride with uh with nick and uh drop drop comments reach out let us know what you think awesome all right well i'm uh, scott cuthbert co-founder of safepedia and i'm gabe incarnation vice president of bbl safety and uh, we're here for our, I guess, our final episode of 2023 for uh, Safeonomics. So yeah, it's, uh, it's blown by. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. And I think we were uh, <clears throat> keeping track of that. What what is it? Most podcasts stop after three episodes or something. So yeah, it was like three or eight or something like that, and we just yeah. kept going. So yay, yeah, good good <laughs> for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're super excited to be. Uh, End in the year with uh, we want to have a fun uh, you know intriguing uh, episode to, to to kind of wrap up the year and and we have uh, Nick Busieta with us who's managing director at Liminal uh, VR so we're gonna we're gonna talk about VR and the impacts that 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 can have on organizations training and safety programs and 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 hopefully talk a little bit about where where it's gonna go in in the future so Nick do you want to do a quick intro so everybody knows. Uh, knows a little bit more about you. Sure. Well, thanks for having me to start with. Really great to be on this podcast with you guys. Um, I've been I've, I've watched a couple of your podcasts and, and they've been really great and informative. So uh, it's, a, it's a real thrill to be here. Awesome. Um, so yeah, look, um, my name's, as you said, Nick Buzier. I'm the Managing Director of Liminal VR. We're a virtual reality studio based in um, Australia. Uh, and we focus on the application of neuroscience and cognitive psychology to uh, develop transformative uh, virtual reality experiences. We have really, we do we do a lot of different things. Um, you know, when you're a VR company, it's an emerging industry. And and uh, so it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping we're moving out of the the, the, the period where where it's considered a niche industry and it's starting to take, take foot a little bit more now, but you tend to spread yourself um, yeah, around a lot of different areas. So we, uh, as a studio, uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, have a consumer platform called the Liminal Platform, which is a platform of short virtual reality experiences designed to change how people feel and perform. And uh, that's available for download on the Meta Store um, if you have a MetaQuest headset, which we can talk about. And we also do a lot of um, work with uh, with industry and clients creating sort of custom VR, AR simulation projects uh, um, and do a lot of work in the safety space. So we, we do things from soft skills training where 
we're dealing with interpersonal dynamics to sort of hard skills training where you might be on site in a you know um in, in the field as a as a technician or on a construction site and and we're simulating different uh scenarios of where you're applying your skills in a in a uh, i guess operational and contextual context so so that's um at a high level what we do uh, but we also have a, a very um, strong research and and development focus as a studio so we have not just your your typical um, team where you have the um, developers and 3D artists and animators and script writers and project managers and sound designers and that typical team that you get you know with where you you're you're sort of creating these interactive simulations but we've also got uh, a dedicated research team um, with a behavioral neuroscientist and an emotion cognition analyst with a PhD in psychology. So that's, um, yeah, I, I guess there's a lot of things we can expand on there, but in a nutshell, that's what we do. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And and I was going to hope, of course, my dog's been like sleeping all day long and now she's uh, barking at the door. So <laughs> ho hopefully the mic's not picking that up. But I was going to say that... Um, because VR, I, I think, was emerging and then it subsided a little bit. My, you know, amateur uh, impression with COVID and, and, and just equipment sharing and, and, you know, all the things that went on. So it could, took a little bit of a lull and now it's back. But my understanding in the, on the neuroscience side of things was that, you know, the training and the augmented experiences um, are are more impactful and and people that go through them retain more of the experience, the knowledge, the learning than if it was a classroom um, simulation. Um, so I, I don't know if you can expand on that a little bit or uh, kind of maybe explain the the neuroscience behind that. Yeah, sure. So um, I think um, to explain it, you, we probably need to uh, go to to some basics about what virtual reality is. And um, and then I can talk about how that differ differs from uh, conventional training. So, with virtual reality, uh, you're wearing a headset, you've got controllers, and you uh, these days they're standalone headsets. They're not hooked up to to um, powerful computers like they like, like earlier generation hardware. But in the, when you're in virtual reality, you're you're situationally placed in a virtual world. So you know, in in sort of traditional, say, um, games, for example, you're you're playing a video game with a controller, and there's a, a clear separation from you and and you know the you know the the 3D environment you're you're observing on the screen. In virtual reality, you're in there, so you have um, you are a participant inside this virtual world you have agency and you get this sense of space this sense of perceptual depth so, so you know 3d objects and 3d assets look 3d just like they would in the in the real world so that has this um ability to uh, i guess um affect people um emotionally and cognitively in ways that you don't get from from other media so um when you're in vr and you're hooked in like that uh, you you have um, a, a really well crafted experience will uh, induce what's known as a sense of presence. So the idea that you have this cognitive buy-in, where um, you know your as far as you know parts of your brain are concerned, uh, it's not that you are experiencing being there. As far as it's concerned, you are there. So so that has really enormous benefits from a learning and development point of view and also from a well-being point of view to uh, leverage that effect and channel the effects in in targeted ways so um with um so yes it has been um i guess shown in numerous studies there was a famous uh pwc study that showed it improved um you know information retention and accelerated learning and things like that um, and that uh, employees have preferred using virtual reality as a medium over over other mediums like like e-learning, for example. Uh, there's also been uh, meta-analyses. There was one uh, that uh, that was uh, commissioned by the the, um, uh, the the World Health Organization, where um, where they were looking at it in the context of health training, and they they found that. Um, and sorry, it was the World Bank, not the the World Health Organization. They they found 
that um, that you know across ninety different studies with different virtual reality content, the uh, the the results were uh, really powerful in terms of the effects they had on people's learning and development from students to to working professionals. So, um, I one 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 point of difference between a VR simulation and traditional learning is if you're in a classroom or if someone's uh, presenting to you um, in, you know, from a PowerPoint or if you're online answering questions in an e-learn or something like that, often what you're uh, being, uh, uh, the, the, the learning design is information dissemination. So here's all this stuff you have to know. Uh, you, you, you go through, you know, this big, dense, condensed, usually written text with static image type um, type uh, uh, you know information dissemination and you're being bombarded with with all this stuff that you don't uh, you don't necessarily absorb and and people are disengaged they, they tend to tend to click 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 just want to get through it they might be looking that that you know their phone might ring and they might get distracted halfway through and and so there's there's um like it's not to say that that there's not benefits to that but it's also limited in in some ways whereas with virtual reality you put the headset on you're blocking out the real world those real world distractions uh disappear it's just you inside this world and you're not just being disseminated information that you need to grasp you're what what you're doing is with a, a properly uh, crafted virtual reality solu solution, um, you, we're creating context, and you're creating, uh, you know, and you actually have to do stuff in that world. So you're, you're engaged. It's 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 facilitating contextual learning and active learning, and um, and you can do things. You can make mistakes. You get real time feedback in the moment that you did something wrong or you did something right. And you know you can leverage um, those effects from game design, where you can get that dopamine hit, uh, with and, and you know giving that positive or negative reinforcement, and that has this real powerful effect on on not just you emotionally, but also also uh, your awareness of okay, this was the impact of having approached this problem in this way. And the other thing to note is uh, because you're in the environment and you're that you're de we're delivering experiences, not necessarily just information. Um, you're you're effectively, um, I guess, engaging different neural pathways in the brain. You, we're effectively encoding memories rather than uh, rather than uh, concepts. So, for example, if um, you're uh, you know when people walk away from the VR scenario that you know they're more likely to remember it 6 months later than that e-learn that they did hmm. amongst all the other e-learns so so there's a lot of um unique benefits of virtual reality that um that that you know can explain these effects that you know from a from a learning and development point of view yeah there's a couple of things that you said that I really kind of latched onto one is that looking at that experiential learning and there's discussion about different learning styles, what people prefer, things like that. I know for for me, I, I can read a manual or or uh, just text. And there's some things that if I'm learning it, I'd prefer to have it that way instead of someone lecturing me on it or something. Whereas others are a lot more auditory learners. And then you have the other types that are the, the, the hands-on learn by doing folks, which is is absolutely that's that's fantastic it's really difficult to do in a digital environment so mm -hmm. doing something in vr as you said it 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 starts to activate that that actual learning by doing because you are in the environment it's not that you have to pretend to be in there you are actually experiencing it in a virtual environment uh the other thing that i thought was really neat too is that you said was about even the the sense of time that was in it. And Scott and I have had these discussions about synchronous and asynchronous learning and how when something happens in real time, synchronously, it, it seems to have much higher value. You retain it better. So having a conversation like we're doing now in real time would be very different than if we read a transcript of this conversation down the line. You get actual real time feedback. Um, and I think that in, in certain cases, the probably for a lot of people, actually, 
the the learning seems to be a lot more effective. It sticks much better uh, because you get to experience it in a very unique way, um, as if you were at a training facility or doing the specific task in real time. That's right. And and the, and the other thing to note is often you can conceptually grasp something, but you don't necessarily know how to do it. <laughs> so, I agree with that. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Example, um, you know, we did this project uh, about 18 months ago now. We we, we wound it up um, on aggression de-escalation training. And, uh, you know, you can, you can tell people about the principles of active listening. Uh, you can know that you need to nod, maintain eye contact and, and uh, you know, paraphrase and, and, and listen and, and, you know, and, and, and show someone that they've been heard. It's one thing being able to say, yeah, you do this, 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 and this. It's another thing actually doing it in the moment. And, um, you know, so like, or, or even just interpreting the cues that you conceptually know, okay, this person is getting aggravated. They're in this escalation phase now. It's another thing being able to, you know, see it in real time and can see that that's happening. So so there's like the, the, that ability to uh, give yourself real-time feedback you know, when you're, uh, you, you know, you you we, you might get a prompt. You might uh, you might have to say, okay, what's going on here? What should I do next? And and then you have to kind of stop, evaluate, and and uh, and then if you get it wrong, it will tell you, and you'll get you'll get that that feedback. It's like, okay, well, I I I may know this conceptually, but putting into practice as a skill is a separate thing. That um, and and you're able to deliver these standardized solution these standardized mm. scenarios that um i guess you can build in uh streamlined approaches to helping people develop these skills and so if for example in an aggression de-escalation context if say you know you you find yourself in a in a situation in the future where you you are exposed for the first time in the real world to potential occupational violence that that may you you you've just never come across before, that before in real life. It's not the same as the real thing, but having gone through a simulation, it's like okay, I've kind of got a little bit of a framework now to sort of spot the issues and and kind of understand, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how to how to how I might go about this situation in this in this real world. So you're better you're better placed having been exposed to these hazardous situations in 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 virtual reality. Um, you know, uh, so when you encounter them in real life, you've actually you've got something to draw on, and you've got an experience to draw on that 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 can help you navigate that situation. Yeah, well, and you said earlier, and and I've heard it before, that your mind doesn't know the difference between the uh, augmented or virtual reality and and reality. So the experiential component of that training is the same, and you can do the de-escalation you know, or emergency evacuation training without without the fear of actual harm, you know, coming to you or somebody, you know, punching you in the nose if you if you get your response to the de-escalation wrong, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And 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 um like for example, and, and that that's not just uh applicable to soft skills training, it's it's applicable to hard skills training as well. So we did this project with a, a company in Australia uh, called Infrabuild that that's a, a steel manufacturer and, and we recreated a digital twin of um, a hydraulics factory so you know where you're melting melting the components into steel and forming them in blocks and so with hydraulics that's a situation um, to oversimplify what that is as manipulating uh, pressure in pipes so hot so liquids uh, travel through pipes in certain ways, and it has this mechanical effect downstream in a manufacturing process, uh, at least in, in 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 as it applied in this case. So, um, so you know, if you forget to pull a lever or don't depressurize the valve or do something uh, at before uh, before taking certain steps, uh, you can uh, in effect spray yourself with really molten hot liquid, and. Uh, and and you know and diet so and so so that is um, a uh, obviously something that you don't want people to make mistakes uh, doing in the real world, uh, but you can safely expose people to hazards with no real world consequences, uh, and create this sense of pressure and you know with by sort of pulling emotional levers in the virtual reality 
design process. And that can have um, this, this benefit. It's like, okay, I made a mistake, you know, during an onboarding, uh, you know, scenario. It's, it's standardized. You know it's going to be the same every time. And so people can learn by doing without the consequences of doing if they stuff something up. And, uh, and, and that's, a real, uh, that, that's, a, that's a really powerful and obvious application in a safety space, like with virtual reality, that safe exposure to hazards, um, often, uh, often that could be just you know uh, following a process to the letter, or it could be sort of unforeseen events like low probability, high consequence mm-hmm. scenarios that might emerge in a workplace that someone needs to you need to identify and adapt to it in real time. There might be a specific process that is super important that saves lives, but doesn't come up day to day, and you might only come across that once in once in your career and but like at least people are prepared for that scenario because they do come up yeah i think that's such a neat uh perspective on it too especially when you were even talking about the some of the soft skills like the the conflict de-escalation and then even some specific training situations on on equipment or hard skills of some sort of like that where to set up a simulation let's say if you were even to to try to to run a live test in real life, so that itself may be extremely prohibitive. Maybe it's a specialized piece of equipment that if you if you were to actually deploy it or deploy the safety measures on it, just doing that, even if nothing was going wrong, could it could be very costly in time, in in personnel hours, and money. Um, but to create it as a simulation in a in a digital environment and have people be able to to react to it over and over again and train on it without having that enormous cost of just running the test or running the simulation. I think that's a huge win. Uh, and and as you said, there's some of those situations you might never actually see it very, or, or you, it'll be very, very rare that you would run into it, but maybe you'll see something similar. So maybe yeah. you don't have a situation where someone is getting violent in, in a, in the workplace, but if you had trained for that, if someone was getting, let's say just belligerent, or something mm-hmm. maybe that would help you to to react to that better but you're actually training in a in a situation that is much easier to to replicate f- with multiple people and to do it in different scenarios so that's pretty fascinating and neat application of the technology yeah and in that hy- hydraulics scenario I, I spoke about before that's a very very expensive facility there's no replica real world replica sure. somewhere uh so so for example uh, if that if if that uh, facility is not operational, uh, it's costing thousands of dollars a minute just to just when the system's down. So right. you know that that makes training uh, very complicated. Like just getting people on site, you know, uh, they, the, the 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 it's not like you can stop production. So so someone is there in a live uh, site. And being shadowed by a facilitator who's watching their every move and, and making sure that uh, that that they're you know they're following the process of the letter and and they will keep shadowing them until until you know you're a hundred percent certain that they know the ropes and that they're not going to make any 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 uh, any major errors and that's mm. the way it works. Like you need to be literally handheld by an experienced hand. Whereas in virtual reality. You, you're not just having not having to worry about shutting down the facility or even breaking the equipment. You're um, you, you you also uh, are avoiding that cost of, of of labor of having someone not doing doing fulfilling their role while they're training you. So you you're, you're saving that 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 labor expense of of having someone shadow you. And and also there's there's the um, just the human factor. Um, with training as well, like people forget to say certain things. It's an important point that you, that 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 you need to remember. And and you know, it's like oh, I forgot to tell tell this guy about to do yeah. this, this, and this. When with a simulation, um, there's no skipping steps. It's like it's mm-hmm. a standardized, scalable, enterprise deployable solution that once it's developed, it can be spread far and wide and used in onboarding. Um, over and over again, year on year on year. So that one one off sort of um, expense in 
in developing it will pay itself off over and over again over time. So, so there's lots of lots of these um, benefits that may not be um, immediately apparent uh, to organisations when they 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 look at, at at implementing a solution like virtual reality. Like they think, well, you know, uh, we need to make budget for this because it's not business as usual, which is fair enough. Um, so they've got this. We've got this sort of small like innovation budget over here that we can we can possibly use to have a small pilot, which is fine. But then I, I guess um, you know really I think where where I think we need to get to is moving beyond uh, doing these one-off pilots, and it's like okay, move from move the thinking forward away from just uh, creating a pilot and and a one-off training program and see how it goes to thinking about as a solution how do we how do we um where how do we approach this in a way where are the opportunities for cost savings over time and and taking a more strategic view to to building something that's gonna gonna pay itself off multiple times over and, and that's i think um the next step as this technology becomes more and more accessible and and it has come leaps and bounds in the last couple of years i think i think that's where we're gonna see organizations going because hmm. the um the you know with with technologies such as generative ai and just the tools that are available like the the cost of of developing vr solutions is coming down as well uh so i think we'll um you know we're going to see increasing adoption as the years go on hmm. yeah i was gonna i was gonna say our, our last ep episode um uh with 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 larry and georgie we went really deep kind of on on doing cost benefit analysis and you know present uh net present value and and payback periods and those sorts of things so i could see uh organizations <clears throat> uh, again maybe maybe not sure about that initial investment because i imagine it takes a fair bit to get it set up but that if you look if and and again um i'm sure you could help uh you know we could help anyone who's Trying to figure out what that total cost of ownership is, or what that return looks like over, you know, over multiple years. But just maybe to give people a little bit of a, a flavor for it, I'll put you on the spot. But like, how like setting up in this hydraulic shop, like how long did it take you to to create that um, simulation? And then how easy is it to, to modify? So let's say you swap out, uh, you know, a piece of equipment two or three years from now, do you have to scrap the whole thing and start over? Or can you, can you, you kind of modify as, as you go? Yeah. So look, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't have the exact, um, exact, uh, you know, development time at my fingertips, but what, what I will say is um, a project like that to create that facility, that was, that was a, a quite a large program. There were, there were 12, 12 different uh, scenarios or modules within this one facility. So we're training a lot of different things. Uh, we probably did that, I would guess, over a six to eight month period. Um, it's it's very modifiable. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we can, you, like if you build, you know, going back to what I said earlier with the taking a solutions-based approach, Approach, rather than treating things as a one-off pilot, you can build things with scalability in mind if you if you um, if you approach it through that strategic lens, and then build things in a way that are much easier to to adapt and and change courses as operations evolve. and 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 it's also um, I think part of the uh, and the uh, strategy is to okay, well, where's the bang for your buck here with this? Um, you know, with, with, with this investment, we want to do something in VR. What is something that we can get maximum impact for the, for for every dollar invested and longevity? So we don't. You wouldn't necessarily want to invest big dollars into into a big comprehensive training simulation for something very niche or um, or that that is is likely to change over time. But if like if there's small modifications and adjustments in the process um that you need to that that you know you may implement down the track uh, that's that's very uh, modifiable in 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 virtual reality like being digital it's a, it's a lot easier to um, modify a a digital piece of equipment than a real physical piece of equipment mm. so you don't have components you don't have 
parts, what we're effectively doing is pushing pixels in a different way. Uh, so so there's um, there, there's a lot of flexibility to adapt these things over time. Yeah, I was thinking that there is probably some there there are probably some economies of scale that need to be brought into uh, into that that cost benefit analysis because the longer you use it, and the more people you have working on a simulation that is not just modifiable but repeatable over time. I mean, you you won't maybe in the past you were able to run that training once a year. Now you could do yep. it multiple times a year, and yep. it it. You had the initial investment, but now it's the the cost per training is starting to go down dramatically. That's right, and and also um, one for example, and um, I guess we we're finding ourselves talking a lot about hydraulics here, but that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if once you've you know created that digital twin of the hydraulics facility, that's not going to change. So. For example, right. if we wanted, if if we, if we wanted to, if the client wanted to expand from, and we're in, actually in discussions with them about this, expand from twelve modules to twenty modules, uh, we don't need to recreate everything again. It's like okay, we've we, we've we've lifted out. We're starting from this base instead of down here. We don't need to reimagine what like uh, you know uh, model every nook and cranny of this facility. Mm. It's like okay, well we've got we've got every, all the assets there. It's just about creating a learning design uh, for each module, depending on what they want to, what, 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 what the training objective is mm. that they want to want to teach. And, and, and the, the other thing too is, um, you know, it's not necessarily, maybe what would be useful is, is talking about just our process when we, when we go about designing one of these, because I think it's, I think one of the, the challenges we get is uh, people, you know, come to us, Hey, we want to do this virtual reality solution for X, Y, Z. And, and it's like, but they don't necessarily uh, know where to start, you know, right. that, that people don't necessarily know what to tell us. And, um, and so we've, we, at the beginning of every project, there's, there's this, we're, we're, we're having to, to sort of work together with the client to have this meeting of the minds. Like we're not liminal and not hydraulics experts. We're virtual reality and, and, and learning design experts through that medium uh, so we need a subject matter expert on the other end of, of, of the of, of the project who will help sort of guide us and make sure we're doing things and implementing them in the right way and we're interpreting the process correctly often the nuts and bolts like with with simulation really matter the details really matter and and often these are details that on a day-to-day -day level uh and a subject matter expert you know, or operator won't even think about it. It's so obvious to them, but for us, we have to create it. So, so there's often a like, you know, we we ultimately want a, a learning design, like a, a high level snapshot of th this is brought in the broad how the how how a, a, a scenario might unfold. Then we, if if there's a very specific technical process um, to uh, that 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 we need to know videos and manuals and, and reference materials, images, that kind of thing is, is really helpful because, because it demystifies things for us. And then um, we sort of work, work together. We, we've actually got a script writer at Liminal and we um, will then create a script, which guides people through the um, development, pro the, the, the scenario from start to finish. So we, we take into account, okay, well, where's the user standing? What are they seeing around them, like uh, specifically, you know? Um, and then um, we've got uh, okay. Well, you know, we 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 usually um, factor in there will be some kind of narration. So we have this voice of God in your ear who's who's telling you, giving you some conceptual uh, knowledge. There may occasionally be characters in the scene. Like, who are the characters? What are they saying? What do you say back? What are the options? And and so you start to really drill drill down, and that's a that's an iterative process. Um, it could be like, okay, well, what interactions do we do? What do we need to tell people about the controls and the onboarding process? So um, we um, you know, so so that initial scoping phase is really really important because it sets the foundation for the experience, and then we try and get to a prototype as early as possible. Uh, it may not be the most beautiful looking experience at the prototype stage but it demystifies for everyone what the what it is that we're actually creating uh, so the, we like to get that done as early as possible when working mm -hmm. with a client 
to make sure that everyone's on the same page and there's no surprises, you know, three months in, hey, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to look like this kind of thing. <laughs> we we want to sort of get that out of the way as early as possible. And then, um, and then, yeah, we um, once we sort of sign off on the prototype, then then we're just charging ahead, full scale development, and we're expecting at that stage um, things aren't going to change in any dramatic sense between um, you know there and the finish line. We'll have iterative, you know, review points along the way, but generally, like, hopefully, generally, we hope that most of the of the heavy lifting from a co-design point of view is done, you know, upfront uh, during that sort of scripting hmm. and prot prototype stage of the project. So you, reminds you me a, uh, I was going to say, this reminds me a lot of um, kind of like modern open world game design is that essentially yeah. you're, you're starting with, with the problem you're trying to solve. Essentially, how do you win the game? And then what are the all the factors that go into it? Who are the additional players? What are the tools that you need in order to you know go on this quest or whatever that you're you're doing? Yeah. And then you you're building the world so that people That's can actually it. interact in it. So it, it it sounds very similar to that, which is amazing. Well, it is that. I mean, I mean, uh, Gabe, what we're talking about is really game development. Uh, we mm. don't like to like to use that, that term very much when we're talking to enterprise clients because it kind of <laughs> yeah, trivializes uh, what it is that we're doing. But from a development point of view, it's exactly the same thing. Like we, you know, you're you're a um you know you you create the world, you you're building that world around a user. You you've got problems that you need to solve uh and challenges that you meet, need to meet along the way. And you, you get feedback in response to those those challenges, whether you, you you get it right, right or wrong. So in in many ways, like um, the the process is the same. Like for for liminal, we can we can um, we could easily go down that game development direction if we wanted to as a studio, because um, a lot of the thinking uh, behind uh, you know the design and development of these things is mm. is very similar. And we're using the same tools, like right. 3D assets right. are created with certain software. We use game engines to create VR simulations like we do with if we were if we were creating a video game. So it's it's not um it's not a a, a crazy analogy uh, to, <laughs> to what we do in, in games. <laughs> well I was I was gonna so you mentioned you have the narrator <clears throat> but I, I hope you have like the 70s soundtrack from those <laughs> safety training videos that we all had to watch those at are, one point. They're really. terrible. <laughs> We we can we can make things as cheesy as you like, Scott. Just, <laughs> you name it. Like if we're working on a project together, I can make it. I can make it really, really terrible if that's what. If that's what <laughs> I don't think that was a challenge. Yeah. No. Well, you mentioned, you, but you also mentioned that there might be other characters in the in the simulation, and I was I was wondering about team team learning. Like, are we mm. at the point where, you know, two or three people could be in in the same. Uh, VR experience and and going through that that training together. Yep. Um, so we um, th there's uh, a lot of scope to create multiplayer environments again to oh, draw cool. on a, a, a game and game terminology. So uh, there's there's lots of virtual reality uh, experiences that have been developed where people are occupying shared spaces for training and for other purposes as well. Uh, so you can be collaboratively in a, in a shared space talking to each other um coordinating on a on on a problem that you want to solve and um you know getting getting uh, often often it's 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 um you know really a, a question of what's the what's the use case and deployment strategy as to whether that's a good idea or not but it's certainly within uh, you know within um our wheelhouse we've We've done multiplayer experiences before where people are occupying shared spaces and, and mm. it's something that I think we're, we're going to see more and more of as time goes on. Yeah, I think when there's when you have facilities that maybe have multiple locations, multiple branches, and they're all just maybe for, for all intents and purposes, copies of one another, to be able to have people at each location cooperatively working on a training, uh, that, that could be huge. Uh, now, and I, I don't want this to sound negative by any means, but what are the what are some of the the 
objections that you're hearing from people when you come with to them with a a VR uh, training solution. And maybe, I mean, the first thing that pops in my head, if outside of the cost, some people think of that as just like, oh, well, we don't have remote teams or any any remote employees, so we don't have to do anything online. Uh, we do all our training in-house or on location. But something like this would allow you to take those very expensive and cumbersome training scenarios and actually still be able to do it. But outside of that, what kind of objections are you hearing from from people and how do you how do you cross those hurdles yeah um so there, there's there's a lot of uh potential objections and it's often idiosyncratic to the client um sure. you know uh, one one of the objections is uh is is literally the time for, for the individual involved to uh, to work with us. So that's why we really want to focus. That's one of the reasons we want to uh, take as much of the load off, off the client as possible. So mm. we have very, very streamlined processes in place to really get them to give us what we need as early as possible. And, and we, you will have like a, a workshop up front and, and we'll, we might do a site tour and take some photos and, and, or, you know, if, 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 if that's practical or, or we might, um, you know, just show us what, what resources you have already and see how we can convert. So, so often, often there's, um, there's that, and there's also another objection, um, you know, and, and again, putting the cost aside, because that's, that's always, uh, that, that's right. an easy one, but like, um, there's, there's just the, um, I think, from a client's point of view, they don't understand the technology well enough to be able to make a, 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 an appropriate cost-benefit analysis mm. on on the merits of doing it. So I think that scares people off. Like I think there's this phenomenon where um, you know the riskier the initiative, the more someone's personal stake in in mm. in, 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 a, in a company. <laughs> You know, personal's reputation is at stake. Like it's much easier making a mistake. Uh, that well, I guess in a way, moving forward with a with a sort of business as usual solution that everyone understands right. and is a known quantity, than to do this this thing over here that that hey, we're going to do VR all of a sudden, and and then your next on the line if it doesn't work out well. Uh, you know, that's uh that 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 then then you're you're putting all your personal collateral at stake. So that's part of the reason we like to. Uh, I, I think that's the part of the reason uh, they uh, a lot of organisations want to start small with a pilot, mm. and then the, the the challenge can be sometimes if you underinvest in the pilot, then you're not getting the outcome and and the the benefits that you're, ho you're you're hoping to achieve. So so there's a little bit of a tension there. It's like well let's scope this pilot properly so we can actually get some decent outcomes to report. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, often, often uh, there's, there's that sort of um, that sort of, that sort of challenge. So often it's a chicken and egg problem and, and the onus is on us as the developers to take potential clients through a process where we can demystify the process and give them a clearer understanding of what the benefits of this technology are and, and how we can walk them through, um, you know, uh, helping them establish their business case and, and, um, and, and just, you know, working through, through, um, you know, often there's like these internal dynamics as well. Uh, you know, someone needs to, to present this to their manager or, or, or an executive and, and they're people that we don't see. So, right. you know, we might win, win over the, the, the people, you know, who, who we're, we're talking to, but then, so they're having to, to report this, this, um, this new effectively um, new initiative and feed it up the line and, and get them to sign, sign off on a business case. Um, you know, like we're, we're, we're increasingly doing a lot more work with uh, mm. potential clients to get them to give them the collateral they need to help them sort of establish that business case and, and, um, and, and, you know, help, help sort of feed that, that information up the line. Right. Yeah. You, sorry. I was just on the, on the objection side, I was just curious because I, I can't remember if you mentioned it before we hit record or not, but that it's the, a lot of the equipment is the quest 
Oculus, the the Meta account that somebody needs. Is there are any companies have concerns about security or privacy if 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 you have to go through this uh, kind of third party account with with Meta? Yeah, so so there are concerns. Um, often they're not. Uh, as big an issue as people imagine them to be, uh, you know, the with a you know that like I guess the most widely used headset in the world is a MetaQuest headset, and uh, and and being a Meta product, there's this, you know, uh, for better or worse, there's there's uh, people have have impressions of of Meta's handling of privacy with Facebook and and what have you that. Um, and and so there's often this knee-jerk reaction against you know a, 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 which I don't think is founded. Like I think the the security um, of of these devices uh, is is a solved problem now. I think there was some friction early on that's been that's been um, roughly resolved. So like for for um, from that point of view, um, yes, we do come across that, but I don't think it's it's a reason not to not to progress like what what we're talking about is um realizing the benefits of many 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 billions of dollars of investment in this hardware and this ecosystem and uh and you know a, an organization like meta they they want to see adoption of their headset and they, they they work really hard on 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 trying to um really sort of bring these um you know, bring, bring, sort of pave the way forward for this ecosystem to work, and and um, like you know, we've we've reached a point now. Just hardware ac acquisition, you can buy a device for less than a thousand bucks, and um, and and that is you know when you, when you compare that to you know purchasing enterprise grade laptops or or other others other specialist equipment given what you can get and the 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 training outcomes that you can get from a technology like this it's, it's not a massive investment uh getting you know um get getting a few headsets that can be shared around a workplace to facilitate this this kind of training so mm. i think i think you know over time like that like one, as, as more and more exposure to the benefit of um of, of this hardware um become apparent to uh organizations and, and and it becomes a more and more normal thing to to utilize it in workplaces i think i think a lot of these objections are, are going to go away once people have more familiarity with what it actually is yeah what i what i found interesting too and, and just to i uh, nick you said you had listened to a few of our prior episodes and it is always funny to me when Whenever we have someone from a a tech company or a tech organization, that inevitably the conversation becomes less about the tech and more about the people that are in mm -hmm. it. And what I what I found fascinating looking at, at at Liminal's website is that you have people that are in the neuroscience field and in the learning field that are in that are on staff or that you are partnering with. And uh, can you? Talk to us a little bit about that focus on on the cognitive aspect, not even just the the technology and building the world in in VR, but even how do people learn? And it seems like there's a you guys have quite the focus on on the learning process and and the neuroscience behind it. Yeah, well, we are focused on delivering experiences. Hmm. So you you the an, an experience is not a technology and experience is a human you know is is the human uh, relationship to that technology so um so what we like with virtual reality there's a lot of potential ways you can go about designing an experience you can go you can go from like hyper realistic experiences to very very abstract experiences you can have experiences that can generate sort of stress responses or, or fear responses, or you can have calming environments. You have, you know, you've got these choices with color design, and and you've got interactions, and you've got, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess you can have sort of guided voiceovers, or you can have characters talking at you in, in the same. So there's lots and lots of different ways um, a virtual reality experience can be designed or developed. And they all, all these choices that you make along the way has this effect on 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 the user. And mm -hmm. so, for us, we um, we were right from the very beginning. We were struck by 
you know, virtual reality's ability to, you know, induce this sense of presence and this sense of awe, um, you know, even in more primitive forms of the technology, it has this emotional effect that that is is profound and and um, and that you don't get uh, with other mediums. And and so for for Liminal, we uh, the reason we established our our research team is because we really wanted to specialize in affective design and the ability for, of virtual reality to induce these emotional and cognitive states in people. So what we did is uh, in, in the early years, we spent a lot of time, you know, uh, pouring through all this scientific literature, looking at all these, you know, different, different ways, you know, potential design factors that could be, uh, I, I guess, utilized to induce these emotional and cognitive states in people and we organized that into a document which we call the psych docs and and we make that available to partners all over the world uh, who want to develop experiences for the product of all that which is the liminal platform and, and the liminal platforms a platform of short virtual reality experiences designed to change how people feel and perform so you know you can see uh, a little bit behind me um, of some of the character the six categories there so we've got sleep calm uh pain uh relief which is pain relief energy awe, and focus um they all have different evidence-based design considerations behind them we also have a system of psychometrics within the liminal platform where we're evaluating experiences at scale so um so we get pre and post measures of people's emotional responses to hmm. different different experiences and uh and and um you know and then we're ranking experiences in order of effectiveness and enjoyability based on that so um we've we've got like six categories of experience designed to change people's emotional and cognitive states and um and a global partnership program where we work with developers all over the world we share our our research with partners they build experiences on the platform and then we uh evaluate you know the those um, over time as people are, are, are responding to these psychometrics. So at the moment, we've got 1.3, over 1.3 million psychometrics, over 100 experiences on the liminal platform. And it's been uh, deployed um, in, in many, many different contexts. It's currently in about 40 schools in Australia as part of a Commonwealth government uh, funded grant as a tool for wellbeing. It's actually used by school counsellors to um, help sort of uh, su support and facilitate counselling sessions. Um, we, we've got, had it used uh, in uh, employee wellbeing programs. Uh, we've had it used in hospitals. Uh, you know, we, we've got clinical trials uh, that are ongoing with one, one through Monash University, who's a which is a major university here in, in Australia, uh, where they're using it uh, post-surgery. So, uh, women who's gone wow. through a, a, a laparoscopic procedure within 60 minutes of um, coming out of surgery, they they're using one of our pain relief experiences, and we've been getting really great results in that uh, in a randomised controlled trial. So we're really committed to, uh, I guess, establishing and building an evidence-based uh, approach to virtual reality design and development, and we see the liminal platform as. Uh, I guess the central nervous system of all that. We, we, the more we grow the liminal platform, the more data we get on people's responses, and then the more we're learning about VR design as this sort of feedback loop that's really, uh, I guess, really driving our mission. And then, as part of that, we're learning things along the way, and we're developing training programs and working with clients, and we're where the fruits of that ends up, you know, informing our our, our design and development of. Of, of of you know um you know any any like pro projects that we work with clients it could be clinical products or it could be training products and and we're always you know looking at ways to develop uh experiences in an evidence-based way that are going to deliver um you know profound and transformative outcomes uh for, for for users so um yeah that's there's a lot a lot, a lot I could talk about, you know, <laughs> regarding our, our, our research. Um, but maybe one other aspect that I'll just touch on briefly, which is a current work in progress, is um, we uh, have been, like, one of our, our researchers, Dr. Adam Barton, did a PhD in attention restoration theory, which is 
uh, for, and focusing on the cognitive dimensions of of virtual reality and, and we're sort of leveraging a lot of the work he did with that to build our own cognitive assessments uh, to evaluate the cognitive impacts of different VR design approaches with like how do you develop virtual reality experiences to improve someone's attention and focus um, you know how how do they um, you know uh, how well does someone perform after certain using certain types of content in mm. um in you know sustaining attention on a task in the face of distractors um so there's there's you know that, that that's something that we're very excited about sort of literally um you know we're literally about to launch a, our first pilot of that um oh, wow. in the coming weeks uh, um but we've also been applying a lot of that base knowledge from that research into a project that we've been uh, working on with one of our clients in in Australia, Endeavor Energy, which is um, like we'd, we'd previously uh, developed single and three phase installation training for um, for Endeavor. So so they were, um, you know, uh, I guess if you're in a household and you're sort of hooking up and, and you know, the, 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 the electricity and, and fault finding and things like that, um, there's a, there's a, you know, very specific set of um, steps that you need to take to do that properly. When you, um, but okay, so we can we we created uh, a training mode where you've got a guided walkthrough, a um, an assessment mode where you're doing it without the guidance to sort of certify that someone has met their competency, and then we're now developing and sort of in the last stages of developing a distraction mode as part of the human factors training. So once we've, we've um, confirmed that someone is competent and they know what they're doing, how do they go about performing that task in the face of distractions happening in mm. their environment? So it could be like a cranky old man, uh, <laughs> you know, walks out and starts talking to you and asks annoying <laughs> questions. Or there's a dog barking and, and banging against the, the fence behind you. Or there's a car that sort of drives off uh you know um dri drives past is really loud and causing a disruption so right at the critical step you know right. um like this is right where <laughs> these things happen right at the point where you know you're performing a very very important task in the middle of like a, a, a complex sequence of things if you make a mistake you know you, you could electrocute yourself or bring down the grid or something like that so then um, then, okay, so what are you doing in that situation? Okay, this has been this big dist distraction has taken my attention. Do you continue, pick up where you left off or do you assume, okay, I kind of, I kind of think, I, I kind of think I know where I'm up to. I'm pretty confident about that. Do you, do you just follow the process and, 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 you know, pick up where you left off or do you double back and, and err on the side of caution? Okay, mm -hmm. let's just let's just take a few steps back, start from, from the beginning again and, and, and work our way up to, uh, up, up, up to following this process. So, so that's, um, that's a, a, a that hasn't been deployed yet. We're, we're sort of in the final stages of development now. And um, yeah, we're really excited to see what sort of results they get. Like Endeavor are going to do a big pilot and we're going to be getting some data and which we like at Liminal and, and that's seeing, awesome. um, yeah, seeing <laughs> what the results are. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's uh, and and again, I think, um, I mean, you know what what you described, you can't possibly recreate, you know, in in uh, real world training, exactly. right? Like to to have all those things lined up perfectly like that, and and yeah, just to because kind of running up against the hour, and and uh, just to circle back on what Gabe said, I th I do think that it is you know about about the human humans in the equation not not about the technology but wow does this ever give you uh give organizations an amazing advantage and opportunity to uh train people retrain people uh you know scale that training and and really build in all the possible scenarios as unlikely as they may be into that into that training so that they have uh, competent confident people uh out there working in the floor because because saving injuries saving lives is is really what it's all about at the end of the day so that's right that's right so yeah from from our point of view too um you know we're very very happy to engage so the easiest path forward for for an organization if they wanted to work with us is to um i guess inquire about the liminal platform um we can uh we have an enterprise program where 
uh, you know, if you if you have access to MetaQuest headsets and they're not that expensive, um, you know, we can we can grant enterprise licenses and and um, and that and uh, you know you can use it as a tool for well being in, in in your workplace or or, or whatever it may be. The the alternative is if um, an organisation wanted to explore, and it doesn't even have to be virtual reality. If they wanted to do interactive simulation, uh, like a metaverse type project, or augmented reality, or virtual reality, um, you know, we're we're around and would be very very happy to engage and and just uh, answer any questions if. As, as an outcome of, of anything we've discussed today, I'd be very happy to to chat with anyone and and you know just help point you in the right direction. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll we'll include your coordinates and and your company website in the in the description when we when we release it, so people can encourage you encourage them to connect with you on LinkedIn and uh, send you an email or reach out through the website with with more questions. So. Uh, Thanks. It, certainly enlightening. Learned learned a ton. Um, excited about the possibility, and uh, really interested in in your story and where where you take Luna. All right. Thanks so much, Scott and Gabe. It's been really really great chatting with you both, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. All right. Thanks.